Today on this episode of the PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. 80% of COP patients are treated in the primary care setting and not in our backyard. Today, pulmonologist Drs. Robbie Callan and Nick Hanania join the podcast to discuss engaging primary care in the treatment of COPD, approaches and practices to the new and established patient in this PV Roundup Specialist Spotlight. Boehringer Engelheim has 100 years of heritage in respiratory disease. Since 1921, they have emerged as a leader in this disease area, having launched several treatments in a range of respiratory conditions including asthma, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, and lung cancer. Their focus is on improving the quality of life of patients suffering from debilitating respiratory diseases and enabling them to maintain a more independent life. Learn more at BoeringerEngelheim.com. This content is solely the responsibility of the authors and does not represent the views of Boehringer Engelheim or its affiliates. Hello, I'm Dr. Ravi Callahan. I'm a professor of medicine and preventive medicine at Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine in Chicago, Illinois. And I'm Nick Hanania, and I'm a, I'm a director of the Airways Clinical Research Center and a professor of medicine at Baylor College of Medicine and chief of pulmonary critical care at the Bentaub Hospital in Houston. Great to see you, Nick. It's, it's a pleasure to see you, Ravi. Well, Nick, today we're here to discuss engaging primary care in the treatment of COPD, approaches and practices to the new and established patient. And Nick, you and I both are lucky to serve as respiratory physicians, and sometimes I think we don't appreciate the challenges of how COPD care is delivered in primary care settings. What are some of the most common challenges when you talk to your primary care colleagues that you see them facing? Well, you know, Ravi, you're bringing an important point. You know, COPD is a, is a major public health problem, yet majority of patients are not seen by us as specialists. They are seen by primary care. And there's quite a bit of confusion there in, in the diagnosis of the disease. One is, you know, they don't think about it. In fact, COPD is one of the most uh, important diseases that is missed. Uh, and actually 50% of patients don't have the diagnosis. We know that they smoke, they have airway obstruction, but they don't have the diagnosis. This has been shown by multiple uh, epidemiologic studies. So first, missing the diagnosis. Why? Because they don't have it on their radar uh, uh, screen. They don't think about it when a smoker comes to their office, uh, have symptoms, they don't ask specific questions, cough and sputum, shortness of breath, activity limitation. They, many of these COP patients have other comorbidities, so they, they tend to get engaged in the other comorbidities and forget that there may be a lung disease underlying all these symptoms if you ask the right questions and, of course, do the right thing. So out of, out of the importance of COPD, it is unfortunately underdiagnosed in the primary care setting. One of the things I'm struck by, Nick, is how it seems to be underestimated that patients get treated with antibiotics a couple times a year for what gets termed bronchitis. So sometimes, you know, I meet a patient in a variety of settings and I ask them if they have been on antibiotics for respiratory reasons. And they say, oh yeah, you know, I got a Z-Pack a couple times last year and maybe a few times the year before and maybe two or three times the year before that. 
And somehow, in my perception, and this is true for pulmonary people too, not just primary care, that we've come to accept that some people get frequent bronchitis or things like that. And and it seems to me that's a big mistake. It's not normal to need antibiotics a couple times a year. Do you have that experience or, or I, thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree. I think this should be a red flag for our primary care colleagues. You know, someone who's especially smokers, obviously 80% of COPD patients have smoked, but 20% haven't. So, But in general, if a smoker comes and needs antibiotic on a regular basis, especially in the winter time, has this cough, a smoker's cough, uh, it has activity limitation, these are red flags that should uh, tell our primary care colleague that maybe this patient has COPD. And, and the next step is to do the right thing. And the right thing to diagnose it, as you know, is doing spirometry, which, which is another challenge in primary care because many of our colleagues don't do it. So objective measurement of airway obstruction is not done, and thus the diagnosis of COPD is missed in that, uh, in that setting. What do you think about that, Nick? I mean, I, I used to be quite dogmatic, and I still am, that we should do spirometry in people who have respiratory symptoms or frequent bronchitis or we think may have COPD to establish the diagnosis. Although there's some information lately that there are lots of people who don't have spirometric airflow limitation, who have a high burden of respiratory symptoms that we may or may not know what to do with. But I don't know. I, I think sometimes especially amidst the, the COVID-19 pandemic, I've come to do less spirometry, not more spirometry. And I'm not sure how much it has really impacted my decision-making in a tremendous way in the context of COPD. Well, you know, there's, there's two, two sides for this story. One is you don't want to overdiagnose the disease. That's why we sort of rely on an objective measure. But you're right. Some patients who have chronic cough and sputum uh, have maybe COPD or chronic, what we call chronic bronchitis, they may actually have poor outcome. And this has been shown in studies, as you know, you're, you've been involved in some of these. So this phenotype of uh, smokers who have chronic bronchitis, who don't have area obstruction, may in fact an early sort of, uh, uh, an early form of COPD. But in general, at least if we can do the test to see who is obstructed and then stage the disease. So spirometry is not only important for diagnosis, but also to stage how bad it is, how severe it is. And it may play a role in the implication of choosing the right therapy, although we don't rely only on spirometry to, to treat these patients, as you know. Yeah. Nick, so can you speak to that a little bit? It's interesting in the COPD space because we say we should do spirometry in people at risk to identify the diagnosis and then stage them in terms of airflow obstruction severity This based on what the FEV1 shows on the spirometry. But then when it comes to therapeutic decisions, we kind of disconnect it from the FEV1, right? Uh, this is true. And for many years, we've used sort of FEV1 cutoff for, for choosing therapy but this has been shown not, not to be very helpful alone. But certainly we look at risk of exacerbation uh, and also symptoms. Symptoms are very important and you know, structured questionnaire to assess symptoms are available now. They can be used in primary care. So we, at least pharmacologic uh, treatments is based on, on symptoms and risk of exacerbation. But proving that the disease is there and staging the disease is based on physiology right now. No, of course, we and you have been involved as well in COPD gene, for example. We've looked at other indices that may help us diagnose the disease. 
these are more in the research arena, like doing specialized CT scan may be helpful in identifying this subtype of COPD that is early COPD. But we're not there yet, at least in the clinic right now. The tools we have is a good history, asking the right questions, doing the right thing, and I think spirometry should still be there. I don't think we should scratch it off. It may not be helpful in choosing the right treatment, but certainly it is helpful in diagnosing and staging. When it comes to treatment and choice of therapy, we look at the risk of exacerbation, symptoms, and quantifying symptoms using CAT scores, MRC dyspnea scale, are tools that are available and are actually simple to use in the primary care setting. Asking about exacerbation, I know we're going to talk more about it later on, is very important because 50%, that's another challenge, 50% of patients with COPD who have exacerbation don't report it to their primary care, uh, then don't report it to our specialists when they come to clinic. So asking the right question to see if they've had an exacerbation, you know, those bronchitis episodes that you mentioned, those are important because somebody with, with an exacerbation history is at risk of, freak, of more exacerbations. So these are the things, the challenges that we have. Of course, more challenges, as you asked me, are there in primary care. One is, you know, when it comes to treatment uh, uh, decisions, uh, you know, there are more and more medications right now. There's quite a bit of delivery systems. So there's some confusion, which, which medication should I choose? When do I start inhaled corticosteroid? When do I just, just use long-acting bronchodilator? I think the, 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 the COPD guidelines, both the American Thoracic Society, also the GOLD, has really nicely outlined the, the steps in, 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 in choosing uh, the right medication, but they have not really dove deep in the details of choosing the right delivery system, for example. That's a major thing. You know, we talk about personalized medicine, and we sometimes skip the fact that delivery system is very important. You know, patients may not know how to use an MDI or a DPI, uh, they may be more comfortable with a nebulizer. So I think it's important to assess the choice and have a share, sort of a shared decision-making with the patient, which is unfortunately for a busy primary care uh, clinician or physician may not, may not happen, and, and I think it should be. The, the other challenge, I believe, is, is, is the counseling, you know, of smoking cessation. This is a major intervention which is often missed in, in the primary care setting. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think engaging the patient in COPD care is one of the most underestimated things in both specialty care and primary care. And it's, it's interesting because we prescribe medicines with a therapeutic expectation, right? We prescribe them because we think the patient's symptoms are going to improve, or we think the number of exacerbations that they have per year will be fewer. But I find that patients seldom have that explained to them directly, that we're prescribing a medicine because we think it's going to help your symptoms. We think that perhaps if you go to pulmonary rehabilitation and take this inhaler, and it has to be coupled with a program of rehabilitative exercise for most of our patients whenever it's feasible. Pulmonary rehab is the most underutilized thing in COPD management, but probably the most effective. So going to a program of rehabilitative exercise enhances the effect of what a bronchodilator does. Yet, we don't really explain to the patient 
just taking that inhaler every day, you're not going to stop being short of breath tomorrow. You actually need to do more, recondition your muscles, participate in rehab, and then with time have less breathlessness. Similarly, I find it even harder when we prescribe medicine for exacerbation reduction because someone can't feel not having something, right? So Nick, do you have a do you have a formula for how you explain the rationale for therapies like inhaled corticosteroids paired with bronchodilators to reduce flare-ups in COPD to a patient? I, yeah, I mean, I, you know, often I get asked, you know, how, how do I know it's working for me? I think the symptoms are the main thing that I usually assess. Of course, exacerbation reduction is important, and patients don't want to keep missing work and don't want to keep going to the ER or get hospitalized. And we'll talk more about it in a few minutes, but but I think the patient don't want to get flare-ups. They don't want to keep getting prednisone uh, courses, antibiotics. It's not only cost them money, but also it's it's a major uh, morbidity issues. You know, uh, I think the when, when I talk to them about bronchodilators, I explain basically they, these are the drugs that are going to open up your airway. They're going to make you feel better. Maybe maybe do more. Uh, they have to understand that we don't have a cure for COPD. We can make them improve their exercise tolerance. And then the steroids, only in the selected patients, may decrease. It's a soothing medication, may decrease inflammation, and may help you uh, decrease the number of times you get flare, what we call what they call flare-ups. Uh, many of my patients don't don't use exas. It's a very difficult term, and that's another issue that we pulmonologists like to use, which is not easy for patients to remember, you know. But basically, uh, it, I tell them you're going to have less lung attacks, less flare-ups if you uh, are compliant. Adherence to therapy is obviously a major issue, not only in primary care, but also with us in pulmonary. And there are several reasons. Some patients are on polypharmacy. They forget to take their inhaler. Uh, they don't know how to use it. It's costly. They don't have reimbursement issues. Uh, they have reimbursement issues. So. That's another big issue in uh, a challenge for our primary care is to not only choose the right medicine, but choose the medicine that the patient is going to take and going to take every day because this is a maintenance medicine. Uh, but you're right on, uh, Ravi. I think one has to keep in mind in our primary care docs as well that treating COPD is not just about one drug. It's a multidisciplinary approach, exercise, smoking cessation, uh, are very, very, very important, maybe more important than the medications. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, follow-up, close follow-up is important. This is not a one-shot one deal, you know, and then they need to know when to refer to a specialist. But in general, most of these, 80% of COP patients are treated in the primary care setting and not in our backyard. Yeah, and when a medicine isn't achieving what we think it should, if someone's symptoms don't get better, thinking about what else could be going on, comorbidities, or thinking about a different medicine. I mean, we're fortunate now to have a number of delivery systems and a number of medications that are available. Nick, one last question, and this is a tough one that I know doesn't have an easy answer. In When should someone actually see a lung specialist for COPD? Well, as we mentioned, if, if, uh, if the patient has recurrent uh, flare-ups or exacerbation, uh, I believe hospitalized patients, patients who go in the hospital for an acute exacerbation, should be at least seen by one 
a specialist before or after discharge or in the hospital. I mean, these patients, as you know, are at very high risk of not only readmission, but even at high risk of mortality. I mean, it's like a heart attack in patients with coronary artery disease when they get hospitalized because of their exacerbation. So that's one group. Another group of patients where primary care docs are not able to manage them well. They're trying their best and they're still symptomatic. Uh, a third group may be the patients who they need some interventions for that they cannot um, provide. For example, you know, endoscopic uh, uh, lung volume reduction now is an option. Some patients with emphysema, uh, evaluating them for lung transplant. These are things that are not done usually in a primary care setting. Uh, currently, we don't have any biologics for COPD, but when they get approved, I think probably in this type of scenario, those patients should be seen by a specialist before we jump over biologic therapies, you know, which are expensive. So these are, again, it's a tip of the iceberg that we need to see. We don't need to see all 24 million Americans with COPD in our clinic, but certainly that small portion, maybe 10% or 15% that are at high risk, uh, those patients with frequent hospital admission, frequent ER visits that are not do, just not doing right. And, and then the last thing is if the primary care uh, physician cannot do physiologic testing, spirometry, lung function, then he or she can refer to a pulmonologist or at least a pulmonary function lab to do these testing. Yeah. It certainly is getting more complicated than it used to be, Nick. There's a lot of new therapies. There's a lot of new approaches and individualizing therapy has become an option at long last, which is a great you know, it's a great moment for the care of COPD, and we all, I think, just need to think about it a little more carefully when we see these patients these days. I agree. I agree very much that, you know, we have more options, which is great. It certainly can be confusing sometimes, but I think it's better than better to have more options than, than only limited one or two options that we used to in the past. Well, great. Thanks, Nick. Always fun to talk to you about COPD, among other things. Yeah. Ravi, it was great to chat with you. Thank you for having me. And that's today's Specialist Spotlight. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PV Roundup Podcast. For more stories like these, visit us at pvroundup.com to subscribe to our weekly newsletters. You can send any tips or suggestions to editorial at pvroundup.com. Subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or Google. You can also download our Amazon Alexa Flash Briefing Medical News Roundup and just ask, what's my Flash Briefing? Thanks today to our guests, Drs. Ravi Callahan and Nick Hanania. Join me next time for an episode where we cover the latest stories in the world of medicine.